you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This was not a question that Jesus asked. This was not a request that Jesus hoped you would follow. But this was a command from our Savior to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The problem is that freaks most of us out. We think it's impossible. I think back to the video called God's Chisel where the skit guys are standing there and the one guy is being chipped away at under God's chisel and he's talking about, I can't be good. And the guy who's playing God says, I made you good, so be good. God expects us to be perfect. And yet we wrestle with the impossibility of this. Or we don't wrestle with the impossibility of it and instead we go into religious hyperdrive. We just kick it up into religious hyperdrive, right? With all this religious activity that goes on. My wife and I have been talking and we've actually started talking amongst people inside the church and I've come to the conclusion uh, most of the way, I'm like 90% convinced over the 14 months that I've been here that the reason that we don't do small groups and things like that on a weekly basis is because we're in religious hyperdrive and we have so much stuff going on that we can't get together with our small group every week because if I did everything that I was doing every week, I'd go under. I'm in training ground. I'm in an elder small group. I'm in a small group that I host at my house. I'm in sign language class. I'm in quizzing practice. I'm in this, I'm in this, I'm in this. And we're in so many things in this religious hyperdrive that if we tried to do all of those things consistently every week, we would go under. Why? This isn't, a, this isn't a criticism at the every other week thing. It's a question for us to wrestle with about why are we cramming so much in? People want to get together and hang out and fellowship with one another and develop genuine biblical community. And, and by the way, I kind of despise the word fellowship. Not because it's a bad word but because it's come to mean something other than what it actually means. Fellowship in its biblical sense, koinonia in its biblical sense, is this deep personal relationship with one another where we see each other in all of our weakness and all of our flaws. What it's come to mean in the church in America is like a potluck. Or, or maybe, maybe uh, hanging out around the coffee pot. Don't get me wrong, I love coffee. And I am the potluck king. Right? If somebody asked me to show a symbol of my faith, I probably would show them my casserole dish. Right? 
Because it's part of what we do. But you see, my point is, is that fellowship has become this thing that is not what it's supposed to be. And so here's what happens. We know that there's something that's supposed to be going on inside of us. It's something that's going on with us. And so I want to get together with the guys. And I want to get to know them on a more personal and intimate level. And yet we've made fellowship into something that it's not. And so we say, let's get together and do a Bible study. I've got to be honest with you. I'm tired of doing Bible studies. I don't have time. I know, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But I mean, seriously, how many Bible studies do I need every week? I'm in training ground. I'm in an elder small group. I'm in a small group that I conduct at my house. My wife says it this way, Jerry, I'm in Bible college, training ground. I go to mentoring classes, you know, with the district. I'm in a, a, the elder small group, elders and their wives. I'm in a small group that I conduct in my house. There's five things right there that I'm trying to do constantly to grow in my knowledge of the Lord. It's religious hyperdrive. And I think we trap each other into believing we have to do this. Now listen, two years from now, if there's no Bible study going on, I'm going to be up here preaching the opposite message. I'm not saying that we don't study the Word. But I'm saying we've caused ourselves to be in religious hyperdrive and I think it's because of this whole idea of be perfect. Because I'm perfect and we're like, well, the only way that I'm going to be perfect is is if I do all of this religious activity. But it's not just based on this one scripture. In 2 Timothy 2.15, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. And by the way, that's not what I'm preaching out of today. Okay, But I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. There's a reason that I, I picked the ESV. I'm not saying that it's better. I'm just saying there's a reason. Okay, And, and the NLT is fine if you're using that. I'm not coming against your translation. All right? But I, this need-to-work mentality comes out of misunderstandings. And I think it, here's a perfect example. 2 Timothy 2.15 out of the New Living Translation. Work hard! So you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. This thing starts out with work hard so that God will approve you. Church, we know in the scriptures that it says that it's not by works so that no one can boast. And yet we, yet I think This comes in here and gets us. I love Awana, but I think Awana even starts that idea with our kids, misunderstanding, not intentionally, but it causes this misunderstanding when we use the King James Version in Awana. It says that verse, because that's the theme verse of Awana. Study to show yourself a work approved, a workman approved, need not be ashamed. That's That's what Awana means, a workman approved, Needs not be ashamed. I know that there's some letters missing there. A workman approved is not ashamed. Is that what it is? Yeah. But see, study to show yourself a work approved. Now, this is a bad translation of this verse. By the way, the ESV translates some verse, verses poorly. Okay, But this is a really bad translation. Because it makes it sound as though we do the work so that God will ultimately approve us. Now, in this particular instance, I think the ESV does a ton better translating it. Check this out. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. 
A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best to present yourself. Not work so that you can be approved, but do your best to present yourself out of the approval that you already have from God. Let me go back here. Be perfect. Do you guys know the difference between a being verb and an active verb? A being verb, and they criticize you on being verbs when you're writing in English class. Being verbs is like is, be, right? Those kind of things. There's no action involved. You're just being. There's no action involved. Be perfect. Not work perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. Or work perfect as your heavenly father works perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Passive voice. Or go back to the ESV on the second Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best to present yourself. This is about presenting yourself to God. Not working yourself to God. Not slaving away at the religious activities so that you're approved but the author here is saying you are approved so walk in that and live in that and i know some people are saying pastor man you've been preaching this for for months look i can't get away from it because the author of hebrews doesn't get away from it and i gotta wonder why did god tell us to go through the book of hebrews before i ever officially was your pastor he said, if you go there, you start preaching through the book of Hebrews. I've never preached through the book of Hebrews verse by verse before. This is the first time for me. I think God is trying to say something to OCCA. I think God is trying to say, stop all the religious activity. It's not helping you. And I know this is the crazy, this is the crazy message where like, hey, pastor said quit having all the Bible studies. Yes, I'm saying if you're involved in training ground or you're involved in a small group, that's enough. When you want to get together with somebody else and hang out, go for it. Face to face, life to life, enjoy one another. I was talking about this concept with Bill McCandless and and Bill and I, as we were talking, he said, you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about what you're saying, Pastor, I'm thinking about what happened with our men Eight, ten years ago, what really started it, it was not a Bible study. It was us living life together, being friends with one another, having genuine biblical community with one another. And I think what's happened is we tried to systematize that and force everybody to fit into a mold and all those things. And as I think about why our men have not been meeting that often and all those things, because we tried to make it fit into something that it wasn't really supposed to fit in. And by the way, we do that as people. I mean, that's just our thing. Like, give me the 12 easy steps and I'll do that. Right? But that's not how this thing works. Now, I just want to, again, this isn't a plug for the ESV or the NLT. I just want to show you how looking at something with a different lens can help you to understand it in a completely different way. One lens, the NLT's lens at this particular verse, causes us to look at our faith as this huge burden. 
That's what the author of Hebrews has been talking about previous to this. This whole idea of this burden, being reminded of sins, all of these things, so that we could be right with God, but yet they don't quite make us right with God, but it's all about our works, and it's this huge burden. Amen? We remember that from the past sermons? right? The other lens, the ESV's lens on this, it, it, it causes us to feel a huge, at least me, a huge relief because I am approved already. And now all I have to do is work to keep that in mind. Do my best to present myself to God out of His approval. Not for His approval. However, right now the whole point that I'm making is based on my preferred translation of a passage in 2 Timothy. And we're supposed to be talking about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. So, let's study this passage this morning together. And see if it supports this idea that I'm talking about, about coming out of our approval that we already have. Living our life out of our approval that we already have. Let's read the scriptures. Chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Hmm. Waiting on a footstool. Kind of sounds relaxing. Anyways. For by a single offering he is preferred for all time Excuse me, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I remember, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, There is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to speak. Holy Spirit, come. Minister to us. Explain to us. Help us to rightly understand your truth. Lord, as I consider what this passage says, I also know that in the next week or two, we're going to be looking at if we go on living a sinful life, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire to come. And Lord, for us to understand that, we've got to understand this being thing and who we are and what Jesus has done for us. So I pray that you would help us to understand this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So during the Old Testament times, the priest was unable to work, or excuse me, was unable to rest from his work. Bonnie, you just have to tell him, oops. <laughs> yeah, so, That's my favorite sign, by the way. I use it a lot with, the, with everybody. Oops. Um, so during the Old Testament time, the priest was unable to rest from his work on behalf of God's people. He had to constantly stand before God and offer sacrifices. That's what the verse says there in in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. He had to do this daily, because these sacrifices were unable to remove the effects of sin. 
Thus, a better sacrifice was desperately needed. The priest in the Old Testament is constantly working. I heard a story one time. I didn't see the sermon, but I heard a story about Erwin McManus. He's pastor of a church. I don't know if he still pastors this church, but he did, called Mosaic out in California. They met in like six or seven different locations. One of the locations they met in every week was a bar. On Saturday night was this bar and dance club, and on Sunday morning they rented this as one of their locations, and they had like multiple services every Sunday at these different places. So they'd go in there and they'd clean up all the mess of the bar and then have church there but um that doesn't mean that it wasn't messy because Irwin preaches this sermon one time where i guess he's got like a side of beef up on the stage and he is hacking at this thing while he's preaching and he's talking about this concept of what this horrible bloody mess the old testament was the just constant sacrifices daily i mean israel had to keep moving in the wilderness because of all of the debris they were leaving behind with all the dead bodies. You know, and burning everything and dragging it outside of the camp and all this stuff. I mean, they were just killing stuff left and right just as a way to point towards Jesus. So Irwin is supposedly preaching this sermon. It's just, he's got, obviously he's got a tarp and all this stuff down. He's trying to show that this hard work, this bloody mess, this just craziness that is the Old Testament sacrificial system so these sacrifices that we're talking about here this bloody mess it's unable to remove the effects of sin it's unable to remove the effects of sin and thus a better sacrifice was desperately needed right now i want you to understand what i'm saying here i want you to link this back to our opening where we talked about how we are in this religious hyperactivity There's many of us who are going to Bible study and doing all of these things so that God will approve us. We don't have any confidence. I'm telling you, I am so tired of seeing Christian t-shirts that say, Christians aren't perfect. Well, no, this isn't, I'm fine with that one. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. That's a great one. I'm just, uh, this one. Christians are just sinners saved by grace. No, we're not! I am righteous and holy! I am washed clean. I am not dirty anymore. I mean, I get people who get mad at me and say, Pastor, bull, we're sinners. If you are born again, no, you are not. There is nowhere in the Scriptures that it says that. Somebody's going to say, in James chapter 2, I think it is, Pastor, it says that. No, he's talking to the perspective of a lost person, of a person who doesn't yet know Christ. All throughout the Old, all throughout the New Testament, over and over again, to the saints who were at Rome, to the saints who were at Colossae, to the saints who were at Ephesus, to the saints who were here, to the saints who were there, to the saints, here a saint, there a saint, no, everywhere a saint, saint. No, seriously though, you're a saint! The Catholic Church doesn't have to canonize you. Jesus already did it. Can I get a witness? Amen. Anybody believe they're a saint? But that's not how we live. We work, 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 work,
And I talked about it last week in the sermon. When we work like this, when it's all about this work, it steals our joy away from being one of God's chosen because we're constantly reminded of our many, many failures. Look, as I stand up here and tell you that I am perfect and holy, that does not mean that every action that I have is perfect and holy. I am a saint who unfortunately still sometimes sins. But when I do, it doesn't take away my sainthood. If you've got kids, raise your hand. When your kids disobey you, are they suddenly not your kids? Did it change their family lineage? Or, or are, they still a, are they still your child? Right? They're still your kid, right? Can I get amen? If they're still your kid, can I get amen? Like I agree with that, Pastor. They're still my kid. It's the same thing. You are still child of the risen king when you sin. It causes some people to be viewed as more holy than others uh, because they were at least outwardly doing a better job of following God. Church, there are people in our community right now, not the lost people in our community, they don't care about church politics and church business, but there are people in our community right now, I guarantee you, who are looking at you and they think they're better than you because, well, I'm living this closer to Jesus. And you might be one of those people that's looking at somebody else thinking you're better than them because you're following Jesus better. This is what the works-based mentality does to us. It puts us in this comparison mode with one another. But God is the perfect standard with which we compare ourselves. All right, I digress. It caused the worshipers to look at God with fear and loathing rather than love and adoration, and this ultimately stifles exuberant worship. But now Jesus comes along and he offers himself up as a perfect sacrifice. So perfect, in fact, that after sacrificing himself for us, he rested from his work. Now, you might miss that in the text if we're not careful. So I want to show you. Upon completing the sacrifice, Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father and waits for his enemies to become his footstool. See that in verse 12 and 13? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Hmm. Now I want to explain something to you in the, uh, about sitting down and what the author of Hebrews here is saying. How many of you, just raise your hand, it's not going to be embarrassing, I promise. How many of you are on your feet all day at work, working all day on your feet. How many? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are sitting all day at work? Or for the most part? Okay. See, for those of us who do a lot of sitting, and I'm not saying we don't get up and move, but we have desk jobs, we sit around and sit, like we miss this. For the Israelites who were the original audience of this, okay, they're talking about everybody stood to work. A lot of physical labor. There were no computers. There were no calculators. They were all up as a people working hard. They were an agrarian society, agricultural society, so there's a lot of farming and all of those things. And now I know, I know, for us as farmers in today's world, we sit on the tractor, but that's a relatively new thing. We used to stand and, and work the ground. And then when we got really high speed, we, we hooked up an ox or, or a horse to a blade, did, but we were still on our feet. Like this whole sitting to work, this whole sedentary lifestyle is a relatively new thing. Sitting down was seen as being done. 
For me, when I sit down, I'm sitting down at my desk to work. Maybe on Sunday morning I'm standing up. And so when I get done preaching, I sit down and I'm done. But that's this idea. Jesus is sitting down from his work. He's, he's, he's come. He's done it. He has completed it. He's no longer standing. Now, some of you are going to say, yeah, 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 but it says that he makes intercession for us constantly. Absolutely. That's a different thing that he's doing. Praying for us, interceding for us, standing before God. It's not about forgiving our sins. No, that was done with his sacrifice. And he sits down, guys, and he's ready to put his feet up and relax. He's waiting for the footstool. He's done. Now, some of you have a problem thinking about Jesus in those terms. It's like, oh, isn't that kind of a little bit sacrilegious? Yeah, I get mad at the author of Hebrews. He's the one that gave us the picture under the inspiration of God about Jesus putting his feet up. I don't think Jesus is nearly as serious about things. I mean, he thinks about himself seriously, but I don't think he gets caught up with all this stuffiness like we do sometimes. But anyway, I digress. So why would Jesus sit down to rest? What's the point? Why would Jesus sit down to rest? <clears throat> Jesus' sacrifice perfected our standing with God. That's why. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he perfected all time for those who are, those who are being sanctified. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross perfected us. There was nothing else to be added to it. It was a done deal and it perfected us. It says he perfected those who are being sanctified. So we know that there's this continuing process that's going on about practical holiness in our life and all of those things. But our position in Christ is perfect. And Jesus says... Be perfect. Not act perfect. Not work yourself into perfect. He's saying, I perfected you on the cross. So be perfect. Like the skit guys, God's chisel video. I made you good. Just be good. God has perfected us. This is not so impossible as it first seemed. Let me give you a little spiritual relief relief today. If you are in more than one or two Bible studies, drop out a half of them. You're going to be fine. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you might be called to be a part of some of these things. And and I'm not trying to say that. But I mean, if you're going because you feel like you have to work and you have to study to do all of these things to earn something with God, drop out. You'd do better just going and having a cup of coffee with Brian and hanging out and talking and getting to know him better. You would understand the Christian life at a deeper level. I mean, it's good to study the Scriptures. Don't get me wrong. And when I see us as a church not studying the Scriptures, I'm going to be up here preaching the other message right but right now we've swung the pendulum too far this way and it's about work 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 keep in mind god told me to preach through hebrews before i got here and this is his message not mine i want to link this back to the New Living Translation, again, where it said, work hard so you can be presentable. I know, I just paraphrased a paraphrase. 
Work hard so that you can be presentable. (laughs) Versus the ESV. Do your best to trust in the approval via Jesus' sacrifice when you present yourself. You can either work hard to to be presentable, which is the Old Testament mentality, or you can trust what Jesus did. What's it going to be, church? Are you going to work hard to be presentable? Or are you going to trust that you are? Now, see, the whole thing, my buddy Ron Walborn, he's not really my buddy. I mean, kind of buddy-esque. You know, he's got, like, what, 1,400 Facebook friends. So for me to call him my buddy is, you know, understand. He's got 1,400 buddies. Ron's his buddy, too. You know, so, but uh, he talks about this in, in, he has a a video teaching on spiritual formation and he talks about this illustration, this being versus doing illustration, okay? And in this video, he talks about in Australia, when you are a cattle rancher in Australia, there are primarily two ways that are used by, by real life cattle ranchers in Australia to keep their cattle on their property, okay? The first way. They build a fence around the perimeter of their property to keep the cattle in. And it works mostly. Sometimes the cattle test the perimeter, break the fence down, things like that. The second way, you dig a well of fresh water right in the center of your property and you don't put up a fence. And the well keeps the cattle close. And sometimes... Some cattle wander off and go outside of the property. Ron's point is this. Both of them are about keeping the cattle on the property. One is done via the the life-giving sustenance of water. And the other is about staying inside the rules. Both of them look pretty much the same, though. It's interesting, when the well's in the center of their property and you need to drink, you don't wander that far, and you pretty much stay inside of the rules. You look pretty much inside the property line most of the time. But let me just tell you, having been originally an agricultural animal science major, being raised in Kansas for the the latter part of my uh, growing up years, when I was like 10 up till I was graduated from high school... Let me tell you something. We primarily keep cattle on the property with a fence. And I can't tell you how much I've went out and had to chase cattle that broke down the fence and got out. The fence doesn't work fail-proof. And the well won't work fail-proof. But one is a huge relief over the other one. One is about being. The other is about doing. Our life, our stance, excuse me, with God is perfected. So what does this mean for us today? Pastor, what do you want to do? do Why are you preaching this? What do you want us to hear out of this? What is God wanting us to hear out of this? I want to look at verses 15 through 18 again with you. We're going to go through that and we're going to talk about our major application for today. Major application. First point that I want to make here is that the Holy Spirit promises that via the sacrifice of Jesus, He will indwell our hearts and minds. 
This is we're on the application part of this whole being God's children, okay? If you can rest in the sacrifice of Jesus, if you can put your trust in what He did on the cross, He promises you in verses 15 and 16 that He will indwell your heart via His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their heart and write them in their minds. The Holy Spirit is saying, I'm going to be with you in this. I'm going to dwell inside of your heart. I'm going to be active in your mind. You're not going to have to work, 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 work. I mean, think about this. Jesus tells His disciples when they're facing the end time, the end of His earthly ministry, He says, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're standing before rulers, when they bring you in to flog you. The words will be given to you right then and there. This isn't saying be complacent. This isn't saying don't study the Scriptures. But this is saying trust that God is actively involved in this walk of faith. That you are not walking alone. I mean, we all can think back to that little, we've all seen it, I'm sure, little plaque that everybody hangs on the wall. Maybe sometimes it's not a plaque, it's a picture of a beach and there's a set of footprints in it. Right? It's really coming to understand what that means. That knowing that when there's one set of footprints that are in the sand, that's when Jesus had picked you up and was carrying you. That He's active in this. That He's walking with you. That you are His beloved. You are the apple of His eye. Pat, when He looks at you, He is amazed at the beauty that He sees. He's proud. He looks at others. He looks at the angels. He goes, hey, you guys see Pat? She's something, isn't she? That's what Jesus does. He doesn't do it just for Pat, though. Now, some people say, well, I know he does it for all of us, so it's not special. Uh, Really? King of all the universe takes time out of his day to talk about how great you are, how much he loves you, and that's not special? He's there. He's with us. He's come to spend life with us, to have this fellowship, this koinonia with us, this face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth relationship with one another. Some of you are wondering, why would you say face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth? When you go and look with Moses' journey with God as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and eventually led them to the to the shores of the promised land but didn't cross over with them it starts off talking about they knew each other face to face but the words there in the hebrew change every time that it's said and the first it's like knowing each other like this and at the end it's like they're mouth to mouth they're that intimate they're that close with one another and he wants that for all of us he wants to be that intimate with you not not in a not in a gross way but like dad Gets face to face with the baby. I love you. It's just you and I. I love you. Nothing else matters right now but you and I. I love you. This is an awesome promise. If I believe in this promise and if I trust in this promise, then all of a sudden I can do all kinds of crazy things that I couldn't do before. Scriptures tell us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I remember back in the day Evander Holyfield came out wearing that on his robe when he was going to fight with Tyson. And everybody thought that, that Holyfield was claiming that 
God was going to actually get involved in this boxing match. Well, I don't think that's what Evander Holyfield meant. Now, y'all realize Holyfield did win. That was the night Tyson bit his ear off. <laughs> so, but besides that, what I think Holyfield was saying was, and, and the, this is when we were involved a little bit with the church beforehand. I think what Holyfield was saying that night, man, I can win or lose through Christ who strengthens me. I can have my hand raised or I can take it on the mat. And I'm good either way. I'm still a champion. I'm still God's beloved. See, when I trust that the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, I can fail or succeed. It makes no difference. I can rest in that, knowing that I am approved, knowing that I am dearly loved, knowing that even my failures won't define me, no matter how bad people want them to. But there's more than more to the promise. Even as we are learning out the the practical steps of living in this new reality we call walking in the Spirit because the Bible calls it walking in the Spirit, even as we're trying to live that out, we're promised that God will clear the record of our sins, all of them, the past, the present, and the future. Verse 17 says this, And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is a quotation from the Old Testament and he is talking about when Jesus Christ comes and lives and dies and is given to wash away our sins that he remembers those sins no more. That we walk as a people who are approved. And an approved workman need not be ashamed. I can stand in front of God even even when I have fallen down and stand and look Him in the face and say, Dad, I messed up. I dropped the ball. But I know that you love me and so would you help me to get back on track because I know you care. And I can stand and I can say, pick me up. Right? Come on now. We got to start living this way. We have to start living out of this approval. We have to live from approval, not to get approval. So as we look at this major application, many people at OCCA look forward to communion Sundays with longing and expectation. Some because maybe they think that this is going to wash something away. And it's not but others because they recognize they're approved. They recognize this is a reminder of the approval of Christ. This is the approval of the Father. He said, I love you. I approve. I want you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to be face to face, mouth to mouth in this love relationship with you. And so we look at communion. We long for communion with eager expectation. And communion services are the times when we set aside to celebrate the fact that the animal sacrifices, those reminders of sin, are no longer needed. This to me is a reminder that there are no more reminders. This to me is a reminder that my sin will not find me.
This cup, this bread should remind you that you are free. That you have, say it with me, freedom. Okay, let's try again. (laughs) Say it with me. I just thought for sure everybody would know where I was going. That we have freedom. Sometimes you think you're on a roll and everybody's tracking and they're not. We're free. I'm free to come and talk to Janet and to say, oops. I say, oops, often. And I sign slow. And Janet says, I'm funny. She say, I'm funny. Because I sign bad. (laughs) But Janet loves me. Paula says she loves me too. (laughs) Beverly loves me. They approve of me as their pastor and so I operate out of that approval and I wreck sign language. That's just an illustration about God in us. God approves of me and He loves me and so I can wreck this whole thing that we call the Christian walk knowing that He loves me. Not saying, let's go wreck it on purpose, but I operate out of this approval. I come to this celebrating communion. These are times of celebration, not sorrow. They're reminders of our approval, our approval, not the disapproval. These are times when we present ourselves unashamed. Because approved workmen don't need to be ashamed. This week you're going to be encouraged to read some homework about this. And we're going to get to communion in just a moment. Monday is Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. You're like, preacher, you just preached through that. I know. I want you to read it again. This time looking at it with the eyes of God approving you. Tuesday, Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. Wednesday, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Thursday, Micah. 7, 18 through 20. Friday, Isaiah 38, 16 through 19. And Saturday, Psalm 103. By the way, guys, when you get into this Old Testament stuff, it's so great. Gets into the verses about he separated our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. He's put it behind his back. He remembers it no more. How do you sign sin? Sin. So, see, God, He remember sin no more. He remembers our sin no more. Let that sink in. That's what these scriptures are about. Let's pray. And then we're going to receive communion together. 
Father, I thank you that you are so good, so loving, that you forgive us. But not only that you forgive us, you don't forgive and remember. You forgive and forget. You don't hold it to our account anymore. And we love you. And we want to serve you. And so we ask today that that would be this overwhelming thing that comes to us as we receive communion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.